Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It is titled, How to Create a Continuous Improvement Culture by Closing the Gaps. I'm Mark Raven, a senior advisor from Kinexus. I'm the host and moderator today, and we are joined by uh, my friend, our presenter, Katie Anderson. Um, I will tell you more about her in a second. And this is a, a brand new presentation. I mean, not all brand new concepts for her, but a new presentation. So thank you in advance for that, Katie. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, if this is your first time attending a Kinexus webinar, we just want to mention real quickly that our passion at Kinexus and our mission is to spread continuous improvement. So if you'd like to learn about our platform and what we do and who we support, we invite you to go to kinexus.com. And then uh, next, we did a book giveaway contest, three signed copies of Katie's excellent book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Uh, a member of the Kinexus team will reach out to our three winners to get your mailing addresses, but they are uh, Nick McCoy, Erica Morellis, and Ravinder Birdie. So thank you to everybody who helped share the webinar. And um, you can enter future giveaways, including our April 18th webinar. Um, I'll tell you about her at the end. You can enter to win um, signed copies of a different book. So congratulations to the three winners. So with that, um, let me introduce... Let me introduce um, Katie Anderson. So you know, Katie and I, we met, I think about, we'll call it 15 years ago. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely more than a decade. We met in Lean Healthcare Circles. Um, Katie has previously done a webinar for Kinexus. She's done a number of different podcasts with me and my Lean series and my favorite mistake. Um, you know, Katie is an internationally recognized leadership and learning coach, consultant, and professional speaker. She's best known for inspiring individuals and organizations to lead with intention and to increase their personal and professional impact. So Katie's passionate about helping people around the world learn to lead and lead to learn by connecting purpose, process, and practice to achieve higher levels of performance. Her book, again, it's titled Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, Lessons from Toyota Leader Asao Yoshino on a Lifetime of Continuous Learning is an international number one Amazon bestseller. So if you uh, did not win one of those three copies, I encourage you to check out uh, the book and learn more about Katie at her website. Um, but with that, let me turn it over to you. Thanks again, Katie. Thanks, Mark. And yes, it's been, I think, about 15 years now because um, I had my own consulting practice for five years and we met well before that when I was just getting started on my lean journey when I was working at Stanford Children's Hospital. So it's been a, a great uh, partnership. And I also want to say that the winners of the Book of Way also have a special extra gift for me. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that when we get to um, towards the end of our uh, session here today as well. So Mark mentioned that, um, you know, this is a new presentation and it really is driven out of the work I've been doing with clients and reflecting on how do we create a culture of continuous improvement, not just from a process perspective and the operational organizational goals that we need to achieve, but there were some consistent things that were coming up about the gaps we also need to close in ourselves. So we'll be exploring some of that here today. Um, as well. And we'll be using the chat a little bit as well. Love your feedback and definitely want to have time for Q&A. thing that's most engaging for me is uh, hearing from you and having some dialogue as well. So I want you, when we think about continuous improvement culture, I want you to think about this story. So imagine you are, you are a new college graduate or starting your first job and you've been assigned a simple task in your manufacturing plant, and 
you have, you know, this is during an orientation program. They want you to just sort of learn the basics of the work and a little bit about the company. So you're assigned to the paint shop. You're in a car manufacturing company and your one simple job, easy, is to pour a can of paint and a can of solvent into a big vat and then it would mix it all together. And as the cars come down the line, it would get sprayed with paint. So you're supposed to do this every few hours as the paint gets low. And you're thinking to yourself, no problem. I got this. But a few weeks in, you know, it's getting kind of boring and, you know, but you're, you're doing okay until one day when a manager from the shop floor runs in and says, we have to stop the line. The paint is not sticking to the cars. A hundred cars are going to have to be repainted. And you think to yourself, oh no, this must be my mistake. But what happens? Think about for yourself, what would happen if this was your organization? You made a huge mistake. It was going to cost time and money. How would your managers respond? How would the people around you? If you were like me, I can't imagine any other reaction other than some anger and frustration and maybe blaming. But this is not what happened. The managers walked over and said, Tell us the process that you took. Show us what you did. How did you pour the cans of paint into the vat? And so you go ahead and you pick up the cans and paint, and it's very clear. They paused and said, Oh, it's obvious that these cans look very similar, and there was no clear place for you to put them to differentiate. We have a problem here. But this is not your problem. This is our problem. So let's go ahead and fix this and make sure it never happens again. They convened some, you know, a small team and decided to relabel the cans. What a different attitude and foundational for creating a culture of continuous improvement. What we call psychological safety today, a place where we can make mistakes and a place where it's okay if something goes wrong when it's not your intentional fault but a system issue as well. This happened to Isao Yoshino within the first few weeks of his joining Toyota Motor Corporation in the 1960s. And it is it highlights Toyota's true continuous improvement culture, one where leaders are there to help people do their best work. And this is foundational for what we need to do as individuals, as team members, and as leaders if we really want to create a culture of continuous improvement. And I'm going to come back to the story at the end as well, because there was something else that was really special and highlights an even more effective way that leaders can show up to help foster this environment where people feel like they're able to do their best work and contribute to problem solving. I had the incredible honor to get to know Mr. Isao Yoshino when I lived in Japan in 2015 and 16. I'd had my own lean consulting practice and leadership practice for a, about a year and a half at that point. I'd worked in healthcare, as I shared with, you know, Mark and I met when we were both leading continuous improvement efforts in healthcare and hospital operations. <clears throat> and I was really intrigued to understand what was the secret to Toyota? How are they such a successful company in its own right? And then how come so many companies wanted to emulate what they've been doing from their cultural perspective, a culture of continuous improvement, of Kaizen, of innovation, and of customer service. And he kept saying there was no secret. And then one day he said, the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And this is an attitude towards continuous improvement, to innovation, 
to acceptance of making mistakes because mistakes are part of the learning process. And it's ways that leaders and individuals at all levels of the system have to show up with this attitude towards learning. And that is the foundation of my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, which really describes Mr. Yoshino's experience from starting at Toyota and actually even before then, all the way to his 40 years. Um, and when he finished up his career with another major mistake and Toyota's same attitude towards learning and mistakes and people putting forward their best effort. So when we think about, you know, what, what is our role in organizations to really create this culture of continuous improvement, one with an attitude towards learning? It became really clear to me through hearing Mr. Yoshino and others talk about their experience working at Toyota. And, and in my work with organizations around the world, from healthcare to biotech, to small manufacturing companies, to large government institutions, it all boils down to the same thing. And this came out, this, this framework for me came out of a comment that Mr. Yoshino made when he was talking about his role as a manager when he was coaching John Shook, who was the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota Motor Corporation. But it applied to how he and others across the organization showed up. A leader's purpose is simple. It's one, to set the direction. So clarity on what are the goals we need to achieve? Where do we need to go? The challenges that we need to overcome and then provide support. So how do we create the conditions for people to be successful? How do we coach and develop them? And how do we help them along the way to achieving the goals we need? And then three, how do we develop ourselves? Because this is hard to do. And so this talk today is really talking about this second one, about how do we provide support? And then how do we develop ourselves to get better at doing this? And I call this leading to learn. And there's so many things that we can do to create this culture of continuous improvement, but there are four primary steps that seem to be coming over and over again as the essential habits that we need to take to really be able to do this effectively. So before we move into that, I want to ask you a question. I'd love to hear your comments in the chat. So we want to create these cultures of continuous improvement, of innovation, of engagement, you know, uh, but what are some of the barriers that are stopping us? What do you observe in your organizations? Why are we not there yet? We can put some of those in the chat. Yeah, and I'll read off uh, responses that come back. Uh, fear. I'm not surprised. That's the first. Uh, fear. Unclear objectives. Lack of trust. No humility. Resistance to change. We always do it that way. Um, status quo. People are hesitant to change. Busy. Pointing fingers. Pride. No time. Yeah. Not understanding the point. Kind of covers the, the yep. range of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, all of this is consistent. No matter what company I'm talking to around the globe, one of the biggest things I see, and it ties to many of the things you said too, is that we are caught in this mindset of crisis, of reaction, of firefighting, of that everything is urgent and has to be done now. We don't have stop to. We don't have time to stop to really grow and develop people. We're reactive. Think about Mr. Yoshino's managers. Like they could have just reacted and gotten our first reaction as humans often is to blame, but they didn't. They paused and checked their reaction to do something that was more aligned in the learning culture that they wanted to create. We tend to see everything in our organization as this five alarm fire, or we're so burdened with all this responsibility of things that need to happen that we don't really create this culture of continuous improvement. We're just going from meeting to meeting, from crisis to crisis, 
or we're trying to just apply tools. We're throwing tools like band-aids at things without really understanding the attitude towards learning that really make the tools effective. This goes back to this concept of intention, which I like to say is intention equals heart plus direction. I discovered this nuance when I lived in Japan. I, you know, a little side story, I needed business cards made. And some of you have heard this story a few times. You know, I didn't have a logo at the time. I had a new business. You know, who has business cards these days? Although I'm about to make some new business cards because I'm going to Japan in May and I will be handing out many, many business cards. But I put the word intention on my card and the Japanese symbols that came back represent in part heart and direction. And to me, this really created a deeper nuance to what intention means. It's about who do we want to be? What's important inside our heart? What impact do we want to have? And then what actions do we need to take that align in that direction? The gap that I see is not about the heart. Most of us have the intention of doing the right thing, making a positive impact. We want to create a culture of continuous improvement where everyone's engaged and feeling good. But the challenge is when we're in this crisis mode, our actions are not aligned with the impact that we want to have. So how do we start creating those habits so that we can pause and show up in that way that Mr. Yoshino's bosses and leaders did with the paint experience? So we need to align with purpose. And this is about creating the conditions for learning, finding that right place between challenge and support that creates the learning zone. And this is sort of the art of leadership for us. So let's explore what that looks like. So when we think about closing the gaps or continuous improvement, we, we often think about the process gaps. So we have, you know, we have our target and we have what's actually happening. You know, we need to go from here to there, where we are today to where we are tomorrow. We, we think about continuous improvement being very process oriented. So these are the gaps we need to close in our organization. But what I hear and what I reflect on with leadership teams and individuals around the world is that there are four key behaviors that will help us show up in a way that fosters a culture of continuous improvement. And so these align with GAPS. Go see or go to Gemba, ask questions, pause, and study and reflect. So when we can practice these gaps behaviors, we will be more effective in helping support others in our organization and truly closing the gaps in process as well and continuously improve. So let's explore these, uh, these gaps. So go see. I remember one of the most powerful go see experiences when I was working at Stanford Children's Hospital. I have, of course, of course, had learned through many Kaizen events and coaching leaders that, you know, we need to go do process walks and really go see and understand. But the, uh, there's one aha moment that really, really stood out for me. I was working with the Pediatric Outpatient Cancer Center, and they had a huge problem that they were trying to solve for years. And they'd had different project teams working on it, you know, a group of nurse educators and, you know, you know, the physicians maybe were trying to work on their process, but they're just trying, frankly, trying to get, get the work done, get these children saved and through the system. But the problem was kids were coming in. These are really sick kids who need infusions and treatments multiple times a week, coming in and waiting for unpredictable amount of times. 
sometimes up to five or six hours. And this was terrible for the patients and their families. And it was terrible for the caregivers too. Everyone was so frustrated. So I was assigned as a continuous improvement director to go help this group solve this problem. And one of the first things we did after you know convening the group and coming together is I said, we need to go walk the process together. You need to really go see what's happening. And when they did that together, I remember Dr. Marina had this aha moment because she was actually part of the process. You know, she was a physician who actually provided care. She was seeing parts of the process that she had no idea how the scheduler was scheduling and the backups in the process. And the nurse practitioner was, you know, saying, oh, this is what you're doing. The aha moments when they were able to step outside of their siloed work and see the the whole process together was eye-opening. And it was through them being able to go see that they were able to provide those connections and work together in a much better way. And it was amazing. In less than six months, we had really, you know, they, well, I say we, but I was helping do the framing, but they were doing the process improvement. They reduced that variation of wait time down. You know, kids are being seen for the most part within an hour, um, not waiting five hours and still opportunities to improve. But going to see was so powerful. And then they learned too, as the leadership team, to continue to go see with purpose. How they, could they then, once the new processes were put in place, continue to go see, to check in with people and check on the process? And I use these words really intentionally because we want to go to see, to show that we care about the people doing the work, help remove the barriers or understand what's getting in the way, check in on how they're doing. And then we want to check on the process. Is the process running the way we had expected? What other ways can we make some changes? So go see with purpose about people and on process. And go see also helps make the invisible visible. When we don't truly go see, when we stay in our silo or stay in our conference, you know, or the conference room and try and do problem solving or stay in our office because we don't have time, we can't really see what's actually happening. So go make the invisible visible. And when you can build that, go see as a habit for yourself and your team members and those you work with, you'll be so much more effective of truly solving the problems that need to be solved and creating an environment where people feel they're cared about. So the second part of gaps is ask. And those of you who know me um, know that asking questions is one of my most favorite topics to teach and to talk about because we need to break our telling habit. We are in a habit of thinking that we're asking questions, but we're telling people all of our ideas. And it's not that telling is wrong and that only asking is good. There is a time to tell, you know, set that direction or, you know, it's, it truly is emergency or crisis. We need all hands on deck. Or it's a problem that I have ownership for and I should be advocating for my perspective. But we are rewarded in our education and through our careers, and especially as you know, independent contributors and developing expertise to come up with all the answers. But when we are in a team or a leadership role, that is not effective to really foster an environment of continuous improvement. And the unseen thing that often happens with this is when we have a problem-solving culture where we're just doing the telling, who owns the problem? You do. And this contributes to the sense of, I don't have time to grow and develop people. I just need to keep telling people all my ideas. And it comes sometimes, you know, we talk about that intention. 
you're not trying to take over the problem solving. You often think that you're coming from a place of helping, but it's actually having the opposite impact. And I have to admit, I'm Katie Anderson and I have a telling habit. And I have to work each and every day to be more intentional about asking more questions, not jumping in and giving my idea and solution. And there's a time and place for that, but being more aware of the impact that I want to have and how do I align what I'm saying with that. And one of the biggest things to do is to pay attention to the quality of your questions. This is one of my favorite slides. It is a wolf disguised as a sheep. We often think, oh, I'm asking a lot of great questions, but really we're just putting a question mark on our idea. What have you tried? My great idea. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? These are not genuine questions. So beware of advocacy in disguise when you are trying to be more asking. This is one of the most challenging things for people to practice. And if you start putting your attention to what you say and what other people do, you will hear how many leading questions, how much telling disguised as asking that we have in our organization. I have a a guide, three tips to break your telling habit, which you can download either get the QR code here or in the slides later that will give you some tips to be more effective at how to show up asking more and telling less. All right, the third P is pause. How did that feel? That feel a little awkward? That was a count of 10 in my head. We are not used to pausing. And when we ask a question, it is disrespectful to us just jump in. We need to create space for thinking. And I count to 10 all the time throughout the day. It is my countermeasure to give space for other people to think and to slow down my own speaking as well. If we are wanting to create a culture of continuous improvement, we need to get comfortable with the pause. I've been working with a large biotech company recently, and one of the, like, the primary reflections that leaders have in between our sessions of practice, besides the asking questions challenge, is how uncomfortable they are with silence and how challenging actually creating that pause has been. But they're really experimenting with it and seeing positive results in their team members coming forward with more ideas and feeling more engaged as well. I challenge you to pause more often, to slow down. And this helps us get out of this crisis mentality as well, because we are really, we get caught in doing, 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 and we're jumping from Zoom to Zoom or meeting to meeting. And then we get in our habits of just rushing around. Pause. And I also encourage you to take an intention pause. Slow down to connect with What is your purpose in that moment, your role, the impact you want to have? And then what are the actions you need to take to really align with that? For example, you know, are you there to be, you know, the leader that needs to give some tough feedback to someone or to set the direction? Or are you there to foster an environment where people are coming forward of their own ideas? There are different purposes that we have and different ways to show up then. So, but we get reactive. So take that intention pause. I find it incredibly helpful too, as a parent, for me to take that intention pause, you know, because it's so easy to tell our kids what to do. And, you know, sometimes they definitely need to be told what to do. But I was talking, you know, for example, I was talking to my 12 year old last night 
And I had to really take an intention pause and say, I need to hear what he's thinking and ask questions opposed to me just coming in with my recommendations. And it was a really much more effective conversation. And this is is really helpful at work as well. So the last of the S is study and reflect. In our culture, we are go, go, go. We are plan, do, plan, do, or just do, 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 do. We don't value the study time. It is perhaps the thing that we cut out the most because we feel like we're not being productive or doing something. But if we go back to Mr. Yoshino's comment, the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And the learning happens through the study and part of the PDSA cycle, the reflections, the Hansei. We have to take time to study about what actually happened. What did we expect to happen? What do we need to do differently? Take time to really understand what problem we're trying to solve before jumping into the doing. This, when we can just even take five minutes a day to do more reflection and more study, we will accelerate learning for our organizations and learning for ourselves. I like to say that reflection is the beginning and not the end of learning. And so we have to really start with reflection and, you know, having that pause helps as well. But how do we help build in that habit for our organization? I'm preparing for a workshop with Mr. Isao Yoshino tomorrow. And we, part of it is talking, talking about how to use A3 thinking. And that study part is such a critical part of practicing A3 thinking in Hoshin Conry. And he often says that one of his observations of what isn't as effective in American cultures, and I imagine in other Western cultures too, is that we don't schedule the reflection, the check, the study part into our process. And we don't value that as much as, say, an organization like Toyota does. So we can also practice reflection and study for ourselves and go through these cycles of continuous improvement. So we can practice personal plan, do, study, adjust cycles, or some people know it as plan, do, check, act, but I prefer the study, adjust. And in fact, I like to call it SAPD, study, adjust, plan, do, because we forget the study. We forget the reflection. So as you're thinking about how are you going to close your gaps, reflect on what are your current habits? What happens as a result? Set a goal or intention for yourself. What actions really align with who you want to be and the impact you want to have? And one of my favorite phrases, what does better look like? Not what does perfect look like? What does better look like? Then what are you going to practice? What experiments are you going to try? Count to 10. Create a pause. Pay attention to the quality of your questions. And what are you going to do when old habits emerge? Then do it and then reflect and study. How did it go? And what adjustments do you need to make? And of course, it's the same cycle of continuous improvement and scientific thinking that we can practice with process problems as well. The learning is all in the reflection between what we expect to happen and what actually happens. We have to take the time to really understand that and about the process rather than just the outcomes. And then reflect for ourselves that we are all business conditions that also require improvement if we are wanting to create cultures of continuous improvement. We have to continuously improve ourselves as well. And continuous improvement also comes with struggle. And we as human beings need to get more comfortable with the struggle that comes with learning. 
And we know this intuitively, you know, from learning a new instrument or, you know, trying to, you know, learn a new language. It's hard. It doesn't come easily. But as leaders, we have to get in coaches to get more comfortable with the struggle that happens in the learning process in our organizations as well. One of the things that I observed about myself and I see happening with other leaders too is we maybe know about asking effective questions, but we don't like to see people struggle not having the answer right away. So we jump in with our answer, which may or may not be actually the right answer. In some cases it is, and in other cases we don't know. We need to get okay with that struggle concept and to be okay with ourselves being imperfect and that leaders is not all about, you know, a perfection. It's about continuous improvement for ourselves in, in the spirit of creating this culture of continuous improvement for others. So we want to close the gaps from actual to target in our processes for our organization. And we also need to close the gaps by practicing the gaps behaviors. Go see, ask questions openly, pause with purpose and intention and study and reflect. When we can create these habits, we're going to be so much more effective. So going back to this, you know, to Mr. Yoshino's paint experience, which I encourage you to listen to Mark's podcast where you can hear Mr. Yoshino telling this story in his own voice. So maybe Mark can drop in the episode there. His leaders did the four gaps. They, they went to see, they go see, they were there, they went to Gemba, they didn't just send him an email. They asked questions about the process that he took. They paused. They didn't just react. And then they reflected on what next steps that they needed to take or the team needed to take to put in place countermeasures so it wouldn't happen again. And the amazing part of this story, too, and Mr. Yoshino laughed when he remembered this for the first time in, you know, 50 years, is that not only did his leaders not blame him, they thanked him for making the mistake. They said, thank you, because it made it clear that they had not set up the conditions for him to be successful. And this this attitude towards learning and seeing mistakes as a source of learning and improvement is so critical if we really want to create cultures of continuous improvement. I had the incredible honor to be on stage at the Association for Manufacturing Excellence's conference last October in 2022 to um, interview General Electric CEO Larry Culp about his leadership approach. And I asked him these questions around what are the key behaviors that he's had to learn and practice to become a more effective leader to really create these cultures of continuous improvement, both in his former organization and now at General Electric. And he said the same things. He needs to go out and truly go see, not just stay in his office. And he said, learning to ask more effective questions was critical and listening, which is part of the pause, really, truly listening. And of course, then reflecting and and continuously improving himself as well. This is what effective leaders in continuous improvement organizations do. They go see, they ask questions, they pause and create space for learning, and they reflect and help others reflect and study as well. So this too can be your super power. It's like my, Sean, my, my, one of my best clients, Sean, he has been making tremendous improvements, not just for himself, but in the teams that he works with. He's, I asked him, you know, what, you know, how has his experience of been practicing all this? And he said, Katie, it's 
It's amazing. It's so simple, but it's, you know, people are thinking I have this superpower. Like my boss is wondering, like, what have I been doing that's different? Other organ, you know, people in the organization have been really noticing. He's like, it's so simple. I do the leading to learn framework. I, I set the direction, I provide support and I develop myself. And really what that providing support is, I make sure I go see, I go check on my team regularly. I ask them questions about how are they thinking about solving the problems ahead of us? What are the problems that they think are the most important? I, you know, I pause to make sure I'm not jumping in with all the solutions and I really listen to them. And then I help by creating a process for us to study and reflect by coming back and asking how they're learning. It's like, it's so simple, but people think it's so challenging. You too can have this superpower as well. And through your superpower, you will create a chain of learning. Because when you do these things and lead with attitude of caring, caring about other people, an attitude of curiosity, asking those questions about what's really happening, and the courage to admit that you don't have to have all the answers, the courage to give challenging feedback, and the courage to show up in a different way, you will help develop the capabilities and confidence people need to have to create cultures of continuous learning, of continuous improvement. They will get greater clarity on the real problems that need to be solved. And then they'll foster creativity by asking the questions and giving them space to think. And then this is all done through actually an HC, an eighth C, which is around the connection. It's a connection of us as human beings to help each other improve continuously. And through that, we create a culture of continuous improvement. There is a proverb in Japan, Japanese that is translated to fall down seven times, get up eight. And this is all about the perseverance and patience we have to have in achieving goals and recognizing that struggle and setbacks are inherent in the process of improvement, of achieving our goals. And so I'm gonna, I have my giant Daruma here that actually says intention on it. I had this made at the Daruma Temple um, in Takasaki outside of Tokyo, and I'll be taking uh, leadership teams there in May and October on my Japan study tours. Uh, when you have a goal, you fill in the, the doll's left eye. And this one, actually, the monks gave me extra power. I haven't actually set a goal for this one. And then when you achieve your goal, you can fill in the doll's left eye, or sorry, right eye. And they're weighted. And so they always write themselves back up, representing this fall down, but get up. So I want you to set your intention. Do practice some study and reflection for yourself and set a goal for yourself. What are you going to practice with intention to close your gaps and to practice these behaviors? I'd love to hear in the chat for you, what is one thing that's standing out for you about what you want to put more intentional practice to, to close the gaps and create a culture of continuous improvement? So please put some reflection and put some comments in the chat there. And I would love to continue to connect with everyone here. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to the questions. And again, you can get your Break Your Telling Habit Guide um, by the QR code here or the link. So, um, And all of that. Briefing in advance, we'll do a couple quick announcements. Great. We have um, a lot of time here for Q&A. Our next webinar that I had mentioned uh, earlier, uh, April 18th, two weeks from today, one o'clock Eastern, our friend Elizabeth Swan. She's the author of a new book that's going to be available real soon called Picture Yourself a Leader. Her webinar is going to be titled Deepen Your Lean Leadership Skills with Brain Science. You should be able to 
uh, register for that later today, kinexus.com um, slash webinars. And um, we'll email you about the registration for that as well, since you signed up for this one. Um, also encourage you to check out the Kinexus webinars on demand library, which includes the previous webinar that Katie um, did for us before. Um, if you can advance it, please. Um, we'll invite you to uh, visit our blog at blog.kinexus.com. There's something posted um, almost every day on themes of uh, continuous improvement, um, the passion that we share with so many of you in the audience here today. So go please to blog.kinexus.com. Um, next, we also have a, a podcast. You can find it um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, kinexus.com slash podcast. A lot of this is also on our YouTube channel, the audio from today's a webinar, if you want to go back and revisit and listen um, on your way home or on your way in tomorrow, you can do that through the podcast. All right. So there's a lot of thank yous. Um, Katie rocks. Thank you. Um, if if um, I would ask people, please do put questions in the Q&A. So, uh, all right, here we go, Katie. There's one from Patrick who asks, is the gaps concept explained in your learning to lead book? So, um, the GAPS acronym itself is not in uh, explicitly in the book. It's a um, acronym that I've developed recently through reflection uh, and working with leadership teams and talking about all the concepts in the book. Yet it's totally fundamental and integrated into how leaders show up to really provide that support. So the go to Gemba concept is you know, woven through the stories and experiences of Mr. Yoshino, how to ask more effective questions, that concept of pausing and um, connecting with purpose is definitely in there too. And one of the biggest is around the study and reflection as one of Toyota's really, um, one of the habits, organizational habits that they have developed so effectively to really truly create this um, continuous improvement learning culture. Um, all right, another question here from uh, Varang. How do you bring this mindset change to leaders in different industries? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I started my career in healthcare, but I work with all different industries around the world and different sizes of organizations. And it, it all gets back to the same concepts, like connecting with purpose. What do you want to achieve as a leader? What's your, what's your purpose? What impact do you want to have? And then helping hold, you know, provide some of these concepts and then holding up the mirror and allowing space for practice and some reflection on that practice. And this, this helps create that mindset shift and that awareness for people. But if we can bring it back to purpose and purpose of like who they are as a human being and then purpose of you know, who they are as a leader, that is where the, that's the foundation to really being able to help spark change. Because we can't change other people, but we can help, um, help hold up the mirror, help give some examples of what better looks like and to help support them in that process of learning. Yeah. We can't make people change telling leaders they should change or they need to change or here's how I want you to behave differently. That's just, that, that doesn't yeah. work. Yep. You talked about so, uh, so well in the webinar and is explained so well in the book. Um, let's see another question uh, from Patrick. How do you apply these behaviors in remote or hybrid work, like in particular, like go see. Right. Well, so we can still go see, you know, one of the reasons I like having the, you know, the, the video on is so we can see people, you know, as my friend, Karen Ross says, you know, we don't going to see or listening isn't just about um, ears and eyes, but it's really kind of 
what's what's going on for the person. And when we can visualize, that's so much more powerful. We have to be more creative in remote work to think about how do we go see, but you know, how do we screen share together? How do we make work visible? How do we check in with people? One, and then of course, you know, the other ones are, you know, that doesn't matter where you are to ask questions, to pause and to reflect and study. But, you know, one of, one of the things that has always stood out to me, and this is one of my coaches who was um, trained by John Shook, who, you know, sort of part of my lineage, but she would always say that you are my Gemba. So my go see is having a conversation with you, seeing what's happening in your work, asking you to show me what's going on and checking in with you is part of a go see as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, go to see makes me think of, I mean, this is a Stephen Coveyism seek first to understand. Like if, mm. if you're going to Gemba without practicing mm. these intentional behaviors, it, it could be, I mean, I've seen situations sadly where it's useless or counterproductive. If the, the behaviors and the mindsets of, of, aren't, um, if we just copy going to see that that's not enough. Right. Yep. Totally. And then Roy, thanks for adding Yes, Sharing screens helps you get a little closer to that concept of, of go see. Yeah. But have you been in situations, Katie, where you've had to coach leaders of like, okay, you're getting out there, but let's say there's a gap in terms yeah. of um, ideal behavior mm-hmm. and how they're acting. Totally. So <laughs> you're right. So we can go see, but not actually going there with the right purpose. Right. So there's the good, there's a different purpose of like the go see and walk around and just like have a drive by, you know, you know, that gives a good, you know, kind of, I was here, but not really going see with like a mm-hmm. purpose to learn and a purpose to check in with people and check on process. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the, and I continue to use this practice today to help coach leaders is to go see and observe how someone, you know, I'll use a leader in this example is showing up. So, you know, for example, maybe they've, they know that they need to practice asking more effective questions. Well, if you go and maybe observe how they're, you know, what are they saying and what are they doing in a stand-up meeting, for example, or, you know, a, a check-in meeting with, with the team and you write down verbatim word for word, what they're saying, that evidence is so powerful because we often think we are asking a lot more questions. So for example, I, I started doing this and I learned this from my coach, uh, Margie, of when I was in, you know, working another large hospital healthcare system. Um, For example, the physician director was checking in and I would stand there, you know, the team knew what I was doing. I was there as a coach. And then he was, he was appalled to see that how, you know, maybe he asked one or two questions and he was jumping in with, I think here's my idea. How about this? And having that evidence was so helpful for him to start to then reflect and have that course correction. Mm-hmm. So when you, how can you provide evidence, non-judgmental evidence to people about their practice? And of course you have to get, you know, the buy-in and support that, you know, you, you giving feedback is okay and that you're their coach in that, that regard. Yeah. So a follow-up question may be related to behaviors when we go and see uh, from Alan, uh, should go see follow a script. Many organizations have quote unquote standard work for gimbal walks. Yeah. So scripts and standard work are tools that help us support um, habits and practices. So when we're learning something new, we may need more tools and more scripts to help us with that. So, you know, that I, you know, I think that can be helpful. Um, It's where when scripts get rigid, 
um, that we lose some of the human aspects. So when you're a more of a beginner, you need something to be more prescriptive and more directive. And as you get more advanced, you can probably go by more of the principles and practices as well. You know, it's the same thing as like leader standard work. You know, Mr. Yoshino had never heard of leader standard work. It's not something he did at Toyota or ever mm-hmm. heard of because he didn't need that tool to support the behaviors. We need the tools to help us support the behaviors we need to be embedding. So I'm totally supportive for the tools that help support you learn and create standards and processes and embed it as a habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, question from Paul. In an organization with a history of mistakes not being okay, the asking can be a challenge um, mm. to get more of a blank stare or a fearful look as if it's an inquisition. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on how to ease into that situation or to better put someone at ease? Trust takes a long time to build and can be fragile. Yes, totally. So I want well, the more explicit and transparent we can be about why we're showing up and our reason behind it. The, the less, you know, people will make assumptions and feel like suspicious about what we're doing. So it's, I, I coach leaders and I practice this as well is tell people what you're doing and why, like, I, you know, I want to ask you a few questions because I genuinely want to hear what you're thinking. Um, you know, I've been learning that, you know, being more, you know, this is how, this is how we're really going to create this culture of, org- you know, continuous improvement. So, you know, and if you don't have an answer, that's totally okay. Like be totally transparent and it also helps hold you accountable. It's like, I'll tell people when I'm facilitating a session, I'm going to count to 10 after I ask a question and you're probably going to be uncomfortable. You might be uncomfortable with this, but then they get used to it. And so the same thing, when we can tell people what our intention is, it can take away that suspicion, especially if there's a change in attitude and they're usually expecting you to have the answer. I also want to chime in that there are times where it is not helpful for you to just be asking questions. When someone is truly stuck, mm-hmm. they may, may need you to be more directive or instructional about the problem-solving process. But it's important to then label what you're doing and tell them why you're you know, maybe offering a suggestion of how you might approach the situation rather than just telling them exactly what to do. And then go back into that coaching mode and say, well, what next step are you going to take? How does that help you think about your problem? So it's not that coaching is only asking questions. There is a teaching um, and you know, partnership element to that as well. So that's really that coaching continuum. And I, I get into this a lot more detail with, you know, in my, um, my learning sessions and work with clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen on that note, people get understandably annoyed mm. when they ask a question and they're getting nothing but questions back, right? Yeah. If, if someone's asking for advice, I mean, you know, even back in some forms of counseling, um, if, if somebody is directly asking for advice, that can be okay. Yeah. Depending I, on the situation. I, I think the intention is about you not trying to just take over mm-hmm. situ- the, the, the situation. Yes. And, and, and it, yes. And, but annoying advice that was not requested is, uh, <laughs> is very annoying. But also be careful. But often people seek your advice. But if you ask them before you, I, I encourage you to hold back just a mm-hmm. tiny bit before you start jumping in with your advice. People often think they need their our advice, but they all they just maybe need some space to do some thinking. So mm-hmm. pause, ask a question first, like, what's one thought that you've had about approaching that? And then let them talk. And then you understand, are they truly stuck or did they just need some space to think? You know, <laughs> at least half the time people answer 
all are part of their question themselves when just given some space and some pause to think. I mean, that, that seems to illustrate the, earlier you talked about balance, challenge versus support and mm. one extreme or the other might not be helpful or not helpful in all situations, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, people need different levels. Like some people can take a bigger challenge and maybe don't need as much support. And some people are more beginners. And so they need a different mm-hmm. challenge and, and more support. So it's finding that learning zone for each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So a question from uh, Mario, how can we break the fear of man- that managers have over losing command and control approaches and even let people under those structures understand um, help those leaders understand it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes that's what they're used to, yeah. command and control. Yeah. Hey, Mar- hi, Mario. It's good to have you here. Um, Mario was in one of my programs during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we, the command and control is, you know, we kind of need that in a true crisis moment. We need someone to take charge and truly set the direction and make that action going. We don't have time for all of the the thinking, but it's about how to help leaders again connect with that purpose what are the outcomes they really want what are what you know what is their vision for what their organization or what their team is like and then helping helping see how them just telling everyone what to do is actually having an opposite impact in many cases on that if we are not in a true true crisis situation um, and so then it's just asking, you know, inviting them to start practicing something different. And of course you have to have some basic willingness to change and look at yourself. Now, if you're, you're working with a leader, who's truly like, I am not changing. This is my way. That is a totally different, um, kind of coaching environment than if you're working with a leader who's like, I know I want more of a continuous improvement culture. Um, but I don't know how to get there. Or like you're starting to address what some of those fears are. Um, that are holding us back. We all have barriers. We all have fears. So that's that concept of struggle, right? And and being okay with um, and being, you know, not letting go of of past behaviors and seeing a different way. So starting small. Yeah. yeah. Great. So another uh, question here from Roy. Um, one of my clients is a newly promoted manager who doesn't want to let go of her workflow. How would you recommend encouraging her to go mm. see, ask, pause, and study gaps mm. rather than getting caught up in the trenches? How do we leave behind the work we used to do? Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges, right? When we step into more uh, less of the doing role and more of the people management role. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I would... I would get back to helping her connect with, you know, what's her purpose? What is the impact she wants to be having? How does she want her team to be functioning? And then starting to practice like one small thing. What does it look like to go see? What does it look like to ask a few questions to someone in, you know, in the pause in the study? What are the other ways that she needs to have to know that, you know, make the invisible visible so that the she knows that the work's getting done in her pro, her her role now mm-hmm. isn't about doing all the work, but making sure people are supported and that the, the that we're making progress on the process. And so, you know, sometimes the work's so invisible that then we get anxious and we feel like mm-hmm. we need to do it ourselves because we don't know what's happening. So starting to make um, the work more visible and creating that process for her to go start um, to practice these gaps. 
Thanks, Katie. Um, you mentioned purpose. There was a question that came in here from uh, er- Ermengal. How can you be sure you're aiming for the right purpose? Hmm. What is the right purpose, right? So that's unique to each of us. So, you know, it's about exploring what is our purpose. Um, I talk about this in the book, you know, the concepts of warp and weft, the warp threads, which are these that are laid down um, on the loom um, before anything is woven. They're known and they're constant and they're strong. And if we think about that for ourselves, there are some things that have been guiding us through our whole lives, some things that are core to who we are. And then the weft threads are the ones that are woven in between, and maybe they're different colors and they break and things that we've learned along the way. And they really, that intersection of the known and the discovered really creates our life purpose fabric. And so do some reflection for yourself. What are some of those things that are core to you? What what are things that you value? And from an organization standpoint, organizations also need to be clear on what is their purpose? Is it just creating profit? That's not really a true purpose. And then, and then you can help people align with, you know, does their personal purpose align with that organizational one too? Um, So there is no right purpose, but it's a process of understanding and getting clarity for yourself on that. Thanks, Katie. Um, We have time for a couple more questions. I think Jesus asked, what's the best way to get leaders on board so that they can start their own learning journey? How can I help leaders develop self-awareness so that they want to do this approach versus how they're doing it now? So, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm starting to say, so to start with purpose yeah. <laughs> and bringing them together and start having some of those conversations um, and developing the self-awareness is, you know, start, start small, but they have to have some, um, some desire to change. Um, then that, that non-judgmental feedback can be really important. I ask people to reflect first on what are the outcomes they're seeing in their organization? What are the things that they do? today how does that necessarily maybe you know align or not align with that and then you know start doing like you are my gemba as a coach mm. i need to go out and see and um observe you or get feedback in other ways so again it's um just it's getting started and creating those aha moments you know so for like the asking questions a lot of people think they're much better at asking questions than they are you can do simple practice which is you know get in a pair or a trio and you know, have a problem and the other person asks questions and the other person writes down what they're saying. And people are like, oh my God, I just wanted to jump in with all my ideas. And we like it, I mean, I do this all the time and it's such aha moments. So when you can also have those aha moments that maybe aren't, aren't, don't feel as risky because you're not like out actually doing the work, but you're more in a safe, a safer environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're getting some great, you know, big picture philosophical questions here. So thank mm. you. Um, all the questions. Um, Teresa asked, or says she uh, just received a what should I do question from a leader where the decision will have a huge impact. The leader has staff and and, and accountable leaders above them. Um, So here's the question. When you're valued as a mentor or coach, it's difficult to know how much to say and not say. How do you keep leaders from from feeling pushed aside or slighted Mm. when you're helping them? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're, depends on what your role is, right. Are you, are you truly a coach, um, or or a mentor? There's a time, you know, I would stay in that inquiry place a lot longer and really hold back on advice, really just stay in asking them like, 
how, you know, <laughs> about their, their decision, what problem they're trying to solve, what are the challenges they're seeing? How does this feel? You know, there's, there's stay in that inquiry a lot longer. There may be a time for you to give advice. And if you're the person's boss, then there's certainly, you know, a different, a different role. Like, you know, like I think back when I'm a parent, there's a certain point where I, you know, I'm still going to make the decision. Um, but it sounds like this will be, this is a leader who has a huge, you know, huge decision to make. And how do you hold the space for them to think, to think mm. through that? Um, and I guess the question is, you know, what is, is your role there to be given? Uh, yeah. Okay. So thanks for adding in. Yeah. Um, your role is to create the conditions for learning and the structures for them to, um, to think through. And so sometimes it might be holding up the mirror or asking those questions, um, to help them see a different perspective. Maybe they haven't seen before, um, you know, you know, but, but they ultimately need to make, make the decision themselves and you put yourself at risk if you're, you know, it's different if you're like making a recommendation on how they should be approaching performance improvement, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. versus a big decision for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> stay in inquiry, stay in inquiry. Yeah. Um, one last question and, and it's maybe we're not being fair and giving enough time here, but, um, how much does the culture affect this way of working? And, and I'm going to, I think the question behind the question is like, what if you are a mid-level manager and you yeah. want to start operating this way, but, leaders above you aren't demonstrating or modeling that for you. Yeah. So we all have influence, you know, in the the people that we touch and, you know, that's hard if you're in a very command and control environment and you're getting pushed down, but you can start creating that environment for your team. You know, I, I shared with like my, my client, uh, Sean, who has the superpower now, you know, he doesn't have an unsupportive leader, um, but he's really from a mid, you know, mid senior level trying to create influence and is starting to show up in this way himself and people are noticing his teams being more effective and now is able to start grow that and and we're doing some work across the organization at the mid to senior level management because people are seeing this is making an impact so it starts small but can grow and you can demonstrate and create you know demonstrate what it looks like and then create an influence from there that's well said katie thank you so much for the presentation um, I want to thank everyone for being here. There are a lot of thank yous and great jobs in the chat. We'll encourage people, please fill out the survey that you'll be prompted to do when uh, you leave the webinar. It'll be part of the follow-up email. Um, I do encourage you to check out Katie's website, kbjanderson.com. Uh, her book, again, it's Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, um, and uh, so many great stories and insights there. So, um, Katie, anything, any final yeah. word you'd like to leave the audience? Thanks. Well, I forgot to say that the winners also got, they each, in addition oh. to my assigned copy of my book, have a, a mini Daruma as well. So yeah, it looks like that Mark has. So I'd love to see a picture of your Daruma when you have it and chosen a goal. Um, again, I, I love connecting with people around the world to continue to grow our chain of learning together. Um, please reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn, follow my newsletter, um, have some great tips on, you know, my regular things that come out. And if you're looking for some support in your organization, don't hesitate to reach out about how I can support you in really creating this culture of continuous improvement in your organization too. So thanks everyone. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks, Katie. We'll see everyone in two weeks with uh, Elizabeth Swan. Take Great. care. Bye.